Welcome to Create Your Own Light, where we harness our past, we embrace our future, and learn to conquer the roadblocks along the way together. I'm your host, Travis Howes. Let's get on with it. This episode is brought to you by YourWelder.com. YourWelder.com is an online directory of mobile welders. Whether at your home or at your industrial processing plant, we come to you. Our community of mobile welders can repair anything from the neighbor's mailbox that you just backed into or the cat bulldozer sitting on your job site. YourWelder.com is a directory of highly skilled professionals willing to help you on your job site on your timetable. YourWelder.com screens all of their welders using tools like photos from social media apps such as Instagram, Parler, and Facebook, even face-to-face meetups. YourWelder.com was built by actual industry welding experts who actually perform this type of work on a daily basis. And here's the best part. They're veteran-owned and operated. So go check them out at YourWelder.com. And also feel free to check them out on social media where I'll include their links in the show notes. You know, I sit here today um, as I'm, I'm packing up this week because I'm heading down to Bonita Springs, Florida to do post-traumatic purpose uh, for the Florida Gang Investigators Conference. And I'm sitting here, I'm packing, I'm, 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 um, I'm writing for this new book, and I can't, I can't tell you how much of a blessing writing a book is. And I mean, I, I think everybody should sit down and write about their life because as or their lives, as you sit here, as I sit here and I'm just, I'm just stroking these keys, man. And, and, and I'm, I'm seeing what's going on this word document. And it's like you, you compartmentalize it. it so it's almost like, um, like trauma, right? How, how we compartmentalize so many things throughout our lives because we have to focus on right now, right now, right now. And we don't have a whole lot of time to just sit and and reflect on the past. And man, I've compartmentalized so much of my life. And as I'm unlocking this filing cabinet of files with my life, I'm just reliving so many wonderful things. And I remember in my first book, Create Your Own Light, the same thing happened. And you know, and I wrote that book and it's already been two years. And this book that I'm working on is different though. I'm not I'm not really getting into the trauma portion of this. I'm getting into the more the journey aspect of it because what I've realized through working on myself over the years and writing and speaking openly and doing this podcast and doing post traumatic purpose all over the country and talking about you know things that were once kind of forbidden to talk about and actually very unpopular to talk about and and, and now it's like hey People are starting to welcome it, and it's kind of cool. And it's actually not kind of cool. It's really cool. But let's talk about the journey of our lives, right? How many of us are really appreciating the the actual journey itself? I remember a long time ago in comedy when and my wind chimes are blowing. I don't know if you if this is going to pick up, but I'm not. I'm not going out there to take them down. I'm on a roll here. I wasn't going to record today and a thought popped in my head, so I'm just going with it. But I want to talk about the journey of our lives. And I remember a long time ago, years ago when I was in comedy and I was out in Los Angeles and I was talking with my manager at the time and I was, I was getting frustrated because 
I had left the fire service against my will and they forced me to leave that job because one, I didn't take care of myself and I, I caused the demise of my own career, but I worked really hard in comedy and all these things started happening for me, but they just couldn't happen fast enough. And I remember he and I were sitting down in studio city and we were having lunch one day and he looked at me and says, Travis, when have you ever stopped to just enjoy your journey? You know, he said, you're really demanding on yourself, yourself, you're really hard on yourself and you're so focused on getting to, um, the next level that you don't even get to enjoy the level you're at. And at the time me being young and uh, immature, uh, you know, I mean, I was a grown man, but I've just not the maturity wise. I'm not, I wasn't where I am now that went in one ear and out the other. And I just, I just started thinking about that this morning and how right he was. I was in the gym this morning and I was thinking, what a beautiful ride this has been and what a beautiful journey I've had in my life. And how many of us fail to see the own the beauty in our own journeys? You know, I always go back to focusing on the hardships and how we spend so much time dwelling on all the negative things in life that we never really focus on the beauty that is right in front of us or the beauty that we have had along the way. Many of us have that finish line mentality, you know, and I talk about this in my course, Post Traumatic Purpose, when we get on the into the emergency services, how we're, we're the first year or two, we're so excited to be there. But when the reality of these careers start setting in, we start focusing so much on that finish line that we don't even enjoy the career that we have anymore because we just want to get through the work day or the work week or the work month or the year. And we start fast forwarding our lives. You know, just to get to some finish line that to, to be quite honest with you, what good is the finish line without the journey? Could you imagine, could you imagine starting a race and you're lined up, you're on the chalks, the things that hold your feet. if you don't know what chalks are, um, the things that hold a track track star or somebody that's running track holds their feet in place so they can get a, a good, um, good start. And they shoot the gun and all you do is stand up and you, and you, and you're at the tape, you're at the finish line. What, what fun was that race? I mean, you just, boom, you're there. There was no, there was no excitement. There was no, um, there was no effort to be appreciative of. And I think that's the cool part in, in life is the appreciation of the effort that we put into it. You know, you, you, you get out of everything, what you put into it. And if you don't put anything into something, you're not going to get anything back. The returns are going to be very minimal for you. You know, I look at, I look at my life. I can't speak for everybody on here, but you know, I often say I've never been handed anything and I've grinded and worked and scraped for everything I've ever owned. Everything I've, I've been extremely poor and I've been on the other side of, of poor, you know, on the better side of that. And it, it just makes me appreciate things so much more. And when you look back, you, you know, when, when we talk about bonds with people, right? The only thing that can kill bonds is bonds. Now, if you don't know that reference, go watch Platoon, um, the movie. <laughs> Me and Randy always cut up about that. But if you look at what really bonds people, hardships bond people, when you have shared hardships with people, that's why like military and fire and police, dispatchers, first responders, nurses, doctors, that's why we're all pretty tight groups 
it's because we share similarities and we share similar hardships and we share suffering and that creates a bond with people. But well, I guess what I'm getting at is rather than living your life and looking back at those, those moments and those hardships with the people that you care about, look at them as experiences. And you know, like we came through this together, we were able to get through this thing together no matter how hard it was here we are. And a piece of that hardship built us and in, in, in helped construct us into who we are today. I might be going off the deep end with my thoughts here. Sometimes my brain doesn't, or my mouth doesn't, um, doesn't work with the way my brain is thinking. <laughs> I think I'm painting a good picture sometimes. In all actuality, I'm painting a Van Gogh and I just got a bunch of splatter everywhere. How many times a day do you ever, and I know a lot of people don't have time to do this throughout the day, but maybe try once a week, just try sitting back and, and having a reflection period of yourself and say, you know what, let me think back to a lot of happy moments in my life because it's easy to look at, at the negative and see why we don't like sayings or certain people or certain situations, but when's the last time you truly just sat back and thought of every single happy memory that you can drum up? I've been doing that recently, man, and it is really, really cool, and it's I, I posted a, a thing on Instagram last night, a story, and it was just, you know, I'm brand new to doing stories on Instagram. I see everybody doing it, and I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to start doing it. So I have a bunch of videos of my girls out here on the farm. So what I did is I made a quick video. It was like a minute and a half long and dubbed in some um, some Credence Clearwater Revival looking out my back door because it's a happy song, right? And then I dubbed that video, the key to happiness is surrounding yourself with happy things, or the key to happiness is surrounding yourself with happiness. And the same rings true with your thoughts. If you're always dwelling in negative thoughts and you're always seeing the the bad and everything, well, you're, you're contaminating your mind and you're filling your mind with poison, right? So what I try to do is when I start having those thoughts in those days, I try to be cognizant of that and, and I try to stop myself and think, you know what, let me, let me stop this right now because I can change the outcome of my thoughts. Let me start thinking back to happy memories. And that's what I'll do. Man, I'll go all the way back into childhood sometimes and I'll drum up some crazy, crazy things. It takes effort, but I have to had to think about it. I remember one time the other day I was just thinking my dad and I, we were at there was a hunting club called um Bill Huggins Hunting Club, excuse me. And Bill Johns was the other one. But we were we were just walking down these dirt roads in this place called Huggins Hunting Club. And where I lived in the cornfields, it was kind of, it kind of bordered it, but you had to make an effort to get to where we were. So one day we were back there and there were a bunch of hunting dogs in there and they had them in their pens and everything. And I remember going back there with my dad and just petting hunting dogs. And I mean, I couldn't have been fourth grade maybe cause we had just, we just moved out to that cornfield, but I hadn't thought about that in years since I was a little boy. And, and, and all of a sudden last week, you know, some, somewhere around last week, I was sitting out on my farm thinking about that. And then it just started springboarding all these, all these other, uh, all these other memories and all these other just happy memories. And how do you get in a bad mood when you're constantly reliving happy moments? You know, when I look at, I look at miserable people and I look at negative people and one thing that they all have in common is their view on, on the world. And I think just through, if you, if you have been following this podcast since the beginning, you can watch that growth of one man sitting behind this microphone. My view of the world was extremely negative com compared to almost two years ago when I started this thing compared to now. 
I'm starting to see the world as a better place and a safer place. And I'm not naive to the dangers out there, but I'm starting to embrace um, friendships more. I'm starting to embrace society more. I'm starting to embrace being nice, um, not seeing the bad in everything. You know, it takes time, but generally I'm in a much better place than just two years ago because I chose to make a conscious effort in my thinking and the way that I view the world. And that's what I was talking about with negative people and miserable people. They all share that in common. They all just want to be angry all the time. And I don't even think that they realize that they're like that. I think that it's so habitual and it's so normal for them to complain about every single thing in life that that's just who they become. But when you're going through a mental health crisis and your family's suffering and your job is suffering and your finances are suffering, everything around you is suffering. What's wrong with stopping and trying to change something? What's wrong with stopping? You know, I think, you know, we always say fear of, we, we have a fear of change. Human beings have a fear of change. And one of, one of the biggest things I used to say about myself was, well, this is just who I am. And if people around me don't like it, that's just tough shit. And I couldn't have been, I couldn't have been, been any more wrong in that way, in that line of thinking, because there was an opportunity for me to grow there. I was being stubborn and I was using what I was going through as a crutch and I was using it as an excuse to not have to make an effort to better myself. And I was using it as an excuse to not actually see the truth that, and that truth was that I was a very unhappy, miserable person. You know, I just, I I know that there's tremendous growth opportunities out there for everybody who's going through something, you know, um, but you, you really have to focus on the positive side of things and you really have to believe that I can make a change in my way of thinking. It doesn't have to be this way. And so I'm just trying to throw like little, little tidbits out there to help you. So if you're having a shit day, how about stop? Because if you ever notice it just keeps piling up, you ever notice like if you, uh, let's say if you're walking by a drawer and your pocket on, on your, on your pants gets caught on that drawer and it rips your pocket, you get so mad that that causes a chain reaction in, in your behavior throughout the day. We never think of the happiness chain, chain reaction. We never think of, Hey, if I just smile at one person and hold one door open for somebody and say, good morning, sir, or ma'am to one person, how infectious that'll become throughout the rep for the rest of my day versus walking through the parking lot and seeing somebody and just being like, Oh, this motherfucker here, you know, you know what I mean? Like you have to make an effort to keep making your day blissful. But once you do that, guess what? It starts to become habitual and you are your own medicine. Think how, think about how powerful that is. You becoming your own medicine every single day. You have the cure with inside of you to heal your ailments and your ailments. I'm not saying your, your, your knee pain, your joint pain, but how about your mental pain? How about if you think about it with that line of thinking, like, you know what? Today I'm going to wake up and no matter what happens, I'm going to have a positive attitude towards everything. And if something negative does happen, I'm going to address it. I'm going to get over it. I'm going to take five seconds or five minutes, whatever I need, collect my thoughts. And then I'm going to walk back into my own world, a better and healthier person. 
because sitting around dwelling about it, being mad at everybody, I'll never forget. I was, I was in my neighborhood one time and I saw these two little girls sitting outside and it was a hundred something degrees in my truck and in, in my, uh, this was several summers ago. I had my old truck and, uh, the, the thermostat inside said 101 when I got in to start it up inside. Um, that was the, excuse me, that was the outside air temperature was 101 inside my truck was 60 degrees. Cause I keep that bitch cold. Um, and as I'm riding down the street, I see these two girls sitting in the driveway and they're sitting in the sun. They're sitting in the sun in the driveway and there's a big shade tree off to the side and they're nowhere near it. And I pull up and I, I knew the girls by name. So I mentioned their names. I said, what are y'all doing sitting in the sun? Don't you know it's triple digit heat? And you know what they told me? This is what they told me. They said, our stepmom's having a bad day and she came home and took it out on us. And these girls are, I think, 10, 11 years old at the time. Took it out on us and she's making us sit outside. And I said, wait, what do you mean making you sit outside? She's she goes, she made us sit out here on the asphalt because she's having a hard day in the concrete driveway. Now it's scolding hot. And I said, you can't sit underneath the tree. And they said, no, she won't let us. And I said, where's your water? And they said, she, she told us to drink out of the water hose if we wanted something to drink. So I drove off shaking my head. And then I said, you know what, Travis, this is your problem. Somebody else has made this your problem. Now you can't, you can't not address this because what I immediately I went to I don't want to be the guy to call the cops. I don't want to be the guy to go up there and kick that front door in and make a scene because back then I was having horrible struggles with myself, horrible. And I was having impulsive behavior and I was very confrontational. So I knew that if I went and said something to this woman and she said anything other than, you know what, you're right. I'm terribly sorry. It would have gotten worse. So I tried to avoid the situation, but immediately my guilty conscience kicked in. So I said, you know what? I can't, I can't let these girls do that. Cause if these were my girls, I would want somebody to, to lend a hand. So I call the police and I try to let the police handle it. So long story short, the police pull up and then she walks outside acting completely dumbfounded by what, what has just taken place. And police officer looks at me and asks what happened. I, I told him my side. Then she went into this excuse portion and I, pretty much hit the fan and almost got arrested. So here's what happened. She was using her bad day to take it out on other people. And that's the long and short of this story. She, she, she got to work late, had a bad day at work and excuse me. She was running late to work, got a speeding ticket on the way to work, had a horrible day at work because of that speeding ticket, because she just kept letting her bad day get worse. Right. And then who ends up paying the price for it later? those two little girls, she was a stepmother and then it made it a neighborhood problem. And then it made it my problem. And don't think that that problem stopped there because these people lived in our neighborhood. And this is something we had to deal with for a while. We had to deal with constant conflict from these people and it's this situation, but it was one that needed to be handled. That's what I'm getting at though. Had she have been able to stop and I'm not picking on this woman, but had she been able to stop after she got that speeding ticket and said, you know what? I should have woken up earlier. I shouldn't have overslept. I wouldn't be late to work. This is my fault. Nobody else is around me. Taking a breather, taking her licks like a grown woman when she got that speeding ticket and said, you know what? There's nothing I can do about it except learn from it. Boom. Problem solved. And now people don't have to pay for, for your bullshit. But that's ultimately what happens when your day starts spiraling out of control. 
you don't manage it appropriately and you take it out on people around you and it's not fair to them. I constantly test myself with this, with this and it works. I'm telling you, I've done this thousands of times. Am I, am I perfect? No, but I can tell you this when bad things happen or just like little inconvenient things, rather than flying off the handle, rather than getting upset and affecting everybody around me, I try to take a moment and I feel sorry for myself for three or four seconds, whatever it is. And I'm like, ah, you son of a bitch don't. And I say this in my mind, don't let this fuck up your day. And when you, when you verbalize that or say it inside your head, now I wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest saying that sitting next to a spouse who just pissed you off because then that can go sideways real quick. So those are some things that you want to say in your head. But when you can take control of that, I'm telling you right now, when something inconvenient happens next time, just stop and say, you know what? Not going to let it control my day. And you'd be amazed at when you, when it, how that can become habitual and how much better things around you can start getting. I'm not too sure of the world that we live in anymore. I mean, it's just, it's, it's crazy. And yeah, I don't even know if it's crazy. I I don't know if it's always been like this and just, I think it was like this. It's always been like this. I feel like, and, and now we just, we have technology to make everything so polarizing. I think people have always been weird. I think situations have always been dangerous. Um, I think we just see more of it now because it's on every media outlet and the, and the media weaponizes this, you know, to try to keep people, um, divided. And I heard a commercial come on this morning that, that kind of, I actually, I stopped in my truck. I was like, what they're encouraging people now. <laughs> Listen to this. This is how stupid people are. It's just no common sense anymore. They're encouraging people now when they see officers, police officers in conflict with somebody rather than filming they're urging them to call 911 first and inform dispatchers of the situation before taking your phone out to film. And I see these videos all the time of these officers getting in these very, very dangerous situations and they, they're going hands-on with somebody. And you're like, where's all this video footage coming from? Because it's not from their video. It's from people standing around filming them. Like, what happened to, to humanity? What happened to helping the good guy, right? I remember, this is a funny story that makes me think of my buddy Lewis who was killed in 2007 in the Sofa Superstore fire. We were standing out front of uh, Engine 6 on Cannon Street one day, and this is back when Cannon Street was in, that area was extremely rough when I first started there. And it's not it's not that way any, anymore, but it was a very, very rough rough area town back then in, uh, in the early 2000s. And I remember these two police officers got into a fight right literally across the street from us on the sidewalk. And we're all standing, me and it was my battalion chief, my captain, Lewis, another firefighter and me. So there's five of us standing there. And these two, these two police officers, one male cop, one female cop, they start going hands-on with this suspect. And the male cop ends up on the ground with the suspect. And the female cop is just standing there and she was she, she froze. And I, th- I think the situation got extremely real for her really quickly. And that, you know, I've seen that happen with people not, and I'm not picking on, on females here at all. I've seen grown men do the same thing. This situation just happened to be a, a female, but what it is, is there's people out there much smarter than me who can, uh, who can describe this. It's when, I guess when fear and panic sets in 
Uh, you just freeze in certain situations. And that's why I love hearing people say what they would do. They're like, I would do this in this situation. And if this happens and if, let me tell you something, man, if you've never been in a situation that requires your life, you know, you're like, you're depending on every skill set that you have to survive. You can't say what you would do in a dangerous situation. There's just, that shit just drives me crazy. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. So as this this police officer struggling on the ground with this suspect who's starting to get the upper hand. I just, I kind of take off across the street and I dive on this suspect. And I remember Lewis coming unglued at the time. I mean, he was screaming obscenities at me to get off of this man. He was, he was going nuts because he was calling me everything under the sun. And he's telling me to let the police handle it. And I, and I was brand new on the job. I mean, I, I think I was on the job just a couple of months and we ended up getting this guy cuffed and, uh, I ended up, I ended up getting a letter from the police officer as a thank you, <laughs> but I walked back across the street and Lewis was pissed at me. Actually, the whole crew was pissed at me. And this is why they were pissed because like I said, back then that was a bad, that was a bad area. And Lewis was upset that now a fireman got involved and now they, they come around and mess with our cars, mess with our station, mess with us. And when I tell you it was bad, there were, I mean, there were homicides on that street back then it just, it was a rough area. And I looked at him and I said, uh, me and Lewis used to fight all the time. I said, I don't understand how you can just stand there and watch a police officer in a fight. And I, and I said, that's a dangerous situation he was in, man. I said, I, I don't understand how you can sit, stand there and watch it. And he, and he understood my point. We talked about it for a little while and, and he understood it, but he didn't want to get involved. And I think that's most people. Most people just don't want to get involved out of fear of repercussion for something else. Right. Or most people don't want to get involved because when shit breaks bad, those people that stand around saying what they would do now, all of a sudden they have an opportunity to do something and their balls ain't nowhere to be found. They're in their pocket. I don't know. That commercial just reminded me of that story standing out front of that fire station this morning. And I just don't, I know any time that I'm passing law enforcement, I'm always watching them, you know, like I, I obviously I can't stop for every police officer that's stopped. But when I move over, I'm watching in my mirror and I'm watching as I'm approaching. And I, and I, and I tell my family about this too. And I'm like, look, just cause you see a cop up there, don't, don't, ex- don't, don't think the situation's safe. I was like, when I see blue lights up ahead and you know what else I'm looking for? I'm looking for muzzle flashes when I can't see that vehicle, because I don't know that a suspect hasn't bailed out of that car and is directing fire back towards that officer. Or if I'm coming from the other way, if the officer is returning fire to a suspect that I don't know what's going on, I know it's crazy. I know it's hypervigilant, but I'm always looking for muzzle flashes in those, in those scenarios that, or I'm looking for a car to bail. I'm looking for a car to drive away from a scene erratically. How, where's my family? Where am I? You know, uh, are people bailing out of the car? Am I going to run over a motherfucker? You know, when I get close to this because somebody's not paying attention and they get scared and they run like a deer out and they spring out from behind a car and, and, and they're just smacked, right? So I'm looking for all these things, but most importantly, I'm always looking for that officer safety and I'm always watching in my rear view as I, you know, keep going and, and, and his, uh, his lights become faint in, in my, in my rear view, I'm watching and I am watching for those muzzle flashes because I know, I know me and I know, and I know I don't want that officer to feel alone in those situations. The problem is that's a dangerous situation because if I were to turn around and go back there to help in a gunfight, that could confuse that officer and he could think you're with the suspect. You see, I mean, it's a very dangerous, it's a very dangerous situation, but 
when I'm, uh, I know, I know there's times where I watch an officer eat in a restaurant and I, sometimes I won't leave until he leaves because I know nobody else is watching him or her like I am. Right. I was in, I, I won't tell you what city I was in though. I was kind of disgusted because I, w- I was in a restaurant one time and at a time where police officers are being hunted, it, it, it boggles my mind at the lack of situational awareness. Some of them have the, Oh, it's not going to happen to me today. And I watched this police officer sit in a very vulnerable spot of, in this restaurant with zero situational awareness. And I purposely didn't leave that restaurant just because, so I could be that police officer's eyes, you know, and in and, and the event something were to happen. And that's what we got to do for our officers. We got to be, we don't need to pull out our fucking phones and start videotaping and waiting for something to break bad. We need to watch their backs and we need to help them out whenever we can. Don't be the person sitting on the sidelines saying what you would do when you've never fucking done it in the first place and you never even come close to doing it. Cause what most people will do, there's a reason why there's a reason why that, that radio commercial exists because everybody, the first thing they do is they go for their phones versus, versus actually trying to help a human being out. And look, I'm just one man, one podcast. And it's not like we're going to change the world. And all of a sudden people are going to put their phones away. I get it. We're addicted. Shit. I'm addicted. I can't walk five feet away from my phone. Um, I'm charging a battery right now cause I've been on it all morning. You know, my excuse is I got a business to run. I'm running business and <laughs> that sucks, man. While we're telling cop stories, I will tell, I'll tell you a story about the time that I got punked in the courtroom by someone I gave a ticket to. And it's probably one of the most embarrassing times. Well, actually it is the most embarrassing time in a courtroom because I actually, one night my patrol car was, uh, was out of service. So a friend of mine who was on my team, he was on vacation. So my Sergeant made me use his car. Well, guess what he had in his car? My friend Robbie, he was radar certified. I was not, I had never been to radar school or to class or anything. So I couldn't run radar. I just, I honestly, I, I went out and I looked for dope and guns. That, that's all I gave a fuck about. Well, when I got in Robbie's car that night, I started playing with the radar and I started clocking these vehicles coming down the road. And I was on this road called Ashley phosphate road and it was raining out. And I think, you know, I think that the speed limit might've been 45 back then. And I clocked a car going almost 70 and, uh, either way it was raining and I clocked him and I turned around and I went and pulled him over and snatched him to the side of the road. Guy had a nasty fucking attitude. Um, but I couldn't write speeding tickets because I was not radar certified. But what I could do is I could write a careless operation ticket. I actually, I could have given him a reckless driving ticket. That would have been six points. That's what I should have done. Um, but I, I worked with the guy, but only reason I gave him a, a ticket was because he was, he was a fucking dick to me. And, uh, that's what they say in law enforcement. Your attitude dictates how far this traffic stop goes. You know, honestly, I just, what we would do back then is if we had probable cause to pull somebody over, we would use that probable cause to get them to the side of the road. And then we could start doing our drug and gun investigation, you know, and we would do what they would, uh, excuse me. We would build what they call reasonable suspicion if we didn't have probable cause to search a car. So long story short, if you have enough reasonable suspicion, you can potentially de- um, develop probable cause. That's a long story. Cops know what I'm talking about. But most people, they get to the side of the road, they're like, what kind of probable cause do you have? Well, let's figure it out. Well, let's work on that and let's see if we can uh, develop a bu- enough reasonable suspicion and get the dogs up here and all this stuff. So long story short, 
I pulled him over. He was nasty to me. I gave him a um, a careless operation ticket. There's no points on your license. It, back then, it was like just a, it was just a fine. So we get to court. Like I don't know, a month later, we show up to court, and every time I'd come through court, these judges they knew that I'd never written a speeding ticket. I was always in there, you know, with with drug charges or something like this, or like uh, what whatever other charges you want. Well, I go to the stand, or actually before I went to the stand, I had to pee, so I went to the bathroom. And this guy walks in the bathroom, and he's holding up his ticket. He goes, officer, you're going to drop this ticket, right? And now I was like, oh, fuck, no, now you're going to tell me to drop it after you were a dick? I said, no, nah, I'm not dropping a ticket. And he goes, well, you about to get it dropped because you misspelled my name. And I just laughed. I was like, man, I said, well, how much TV have you been watching, dude? I was like, just because I misspelled your name, did you? You're not going to get your ticket dropped. I, I positively identified you. See you, in, see you in there. What I was going to do is I was going to get the judge. I was actually going to get him to work with the guy on the fine. I think the fine was 250 bucks, And I was just going to tell the judge, judge, you know, if you can work with him on the fine. Because, look, I wasn't out there to, to fuck with people. All right? So now... I was actually going to tell the judge now that he came in there and tried to punk me. I was like, I was just, I wasn't going to say shit to the judge. Whatever the judge said, that's what was going to be. Well, we get to the stand and, uh, judge asked me the reason for the stop. And I told him, I was like, well, I, I, you know, I observed him going 75 on radar, observed him going 75 and a 45. And before I could even continue, I was going to tell the judge, your honor, I'm not radar certified, but the reason I pulled him was for careless operation. This judge stopped me right there because the guy knew I wasn't radar certified. And he just looked at me and goes, did you calibrate that radar before your shift? And I couldn't lie to the judge, man. So I just said, no, your honor, I'm, I'm using a, a borrowed patrol car. And just like that, judge looks at the man, says, you're free to go. Charges dismissed. And the dude looks at me. Listen, <laughs> dude looks at me, claps in my face and goes, I told you those charges would get dropped. And he walks off. And the judge actually had to slam the gavel and told the man to leave. And I'm standing there. I just ate shit. I was so pissed off, man. I was like, God darn it. So I hope you all enjoyed that story as much as I enjoyed eating that delicious uh, shit sandwich. I was a supervisor's worst nightmare, whether it be in the fire department or police department. And I look back on it and I'm like, man, there's no way I could supervise a young dude like me because I was just, I don't, I wouldn't say out of control. I didn't understand it more so the police. I didn't understand the reality of policing. I think in, in my mind, I really thought that we were making a difference and that we were out there to get the bad guys off the street. And you could not tell me any different. And there's so many police officers out there that I know are young and they feel the same way. But honestly, knowing what, what I know now, Boy, if I would, whoo, Lordy, if I went, if I could go back to be 25, I would just sit in my patrol car and back people up and take calls. And I would not go out and be proactive for shit. (laughs) But it was, it was an amazing time and it was an amazing journey, which brings me back full circle. And I look at all the hardships that, that I went through all the times I had to go up and dance on the carpet in front of the man and explain myself. And I remember when I was a cop, I was like, why am I doing this job? I remember having those questions. And before I ended up getting fired, I called the fire chief down in Charleston. And I told him, I said, chief, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be here. 
And he says, well, you always have a home here, Travis, if you ever want to come back. And that's, that's actually the way it worked out. But man, I was constantly having to justify myself and I was constantly on edge because every day I went to work, I felt like I was going to get terminated. I felt like I was going to get fired. And anytime the supervisor would call you, he's like, Hey, I need you to meet up over here. All of a sudden I start thinking, fuck, what did I do? What, what, what did he do? What am I being blamed for now? What person did I, did I not play patty cake with, you know? And then you come to find out he just needed to you to sign a piece of paperwork or something like that. But it's almost like anytime your parents call your name from the porch when you're a kid, you think, oh, shit, I'm in trouble. And then you get there and you find out, hey, we got these extra popsicles. You want some? It's like you start living you start living in constant fear. And that was the stress from that job. And I imagine not much has changed since then. I imagine that police officers still every day at the end of their shift, no matter how right they are and how great of a shift they had, they go to bed thinking, well, I'm sure I'm going to get complained on tomorrow. And how am I going to handle that? And it, and it makes me hurt for them because I take all of that and I talk about toxicity and how toxicity is a fuel that when, when enough of it is, is poured onto the stuff that we're going through in life, it just, it creates this, this big explosive bomb. And these poor police officers that have to have to constantly justify even the the, the things that they do the right way, man. Mm. And I can imagine it's ten times worse now. But I'm getting on a tangent now. But the bad things in life, right? When I got fired from being a cop, I thought, you know, my my integrity was in question. I was pissed off. I, I was mad at the world. But you know, I may have said this in other podcasts. But I look back on this journey that I've been on in life, and I can take my finger and put it on the most important turning point in my life. And the one thing that did the, did the most good for me in my life was getting fired as a police officer. I can honestly say that without a zero shred of doubt in my body. That is, that is the event that changed my entire life and put me on the path that I'm now on. Um, and it, it was such a significant event for me. And I remember it for eight years holding on to the hate from being terminated, you know, and, and when the chief actually finally, I ran into him in a gym one day and he stuck his hand out and he apologized for it because he knew that that was wrong. And he knew that that decision shouldn't have been made. And then when the Academy called me and told me that I was eligible for recertification after they looked into, you know, the, the facts of what happened because they were looking at some other stuff and then they looked and they, my, they stumbled across my name, saw that I was fired. My certification was pulled, whatever. And I was like, no, thank you. I don't want to go back to that. But I look back and that's why I try to tell people, man, no matter what you're going through and how, what a kick in the balls or gut that you get, it might just be a blessing in disguise. And it might be a moment that if you, that if you play your cards right in life, will be a very important moment that puts you on the right path in life to where you truly, truly need to be. I was talking with a friend of mine the other day and we started talking about boats because I have a boat and he was, you know, that's, that's part of the problem when people get boats and trucks and houses and it's, it's always the keeping up with the Joneses thing, right? And he was he made a comment. He's like, man, everybody, all my friends are getting boats and we don't have a boat. And I told him, I said, dude, you know, don't worry about it. I said, just get it when it's right for you. So what he's, 
he started going through it and he started justifying it and he's in a position he can get a boat. And then, so he started telling me, you know, what his budget was for a boat. And then he started thinking about, um, well, what if I sell it? What if I don't like it? You know, and you know, and I lose money on it. And that, I stopped him. I said, look, man, that's the, that's your way of thinking. Right. And I said, your way of thinking is making you think that you shouldn't get this boat. I said, you're in a financial position to get a boat. I said, if you were not in a financial position, I would tell you, don't go buy a boat, but you're, you're good. Your, your family's going to be okay. If you go get a boat, your, your kids aren't going to starve. I said, but what you don't need to do is go buy a boat and then worrying about a year from now, two years from now, selling it and not getting all of the money back from it that you paid for it. I said, great. You know, things go down in value. I said, but what are those memories worth to you? And he just kind of looked at me and he, because we don't think most people don't think like this. And I think like this because I'm a deep thinker and I always think about crazy stuff like this. So I said, look, man, what if you bought this boat for $60,000? Okay. And then next year you had to sell it for 50. I said, would that be worth it to you? He goes, fuck no, man. I'd lose 10,000. And I said, that's what I'm talking about, man. I said that right there. I go, I, I see it the opposite way. I was like, if you went on a vacation right now, you you're, you're going to spend $10,000 easily. If you took your family to Disney world for a week and a half, whatever it is, and, or just to the mountains and, and you went and you actually had a decent vacation versus just sitting there trying to hoard money and save money and sitting in a hotel room. I said, think about the memories that that $10,000 buys you for the next year. And you could kind of see it starting to make sense. I said, look, if you go buy that boat for 60 and you have the most amazing summer that you've ever had in your life and your kids have the most amazing summer that they're ever going to have and you're going to be able to build a bond with them that's only going to strengthen your relationship with them for the rest of your life. I said, is it worth that $10,000 loss? And he goes, absolutely. And that was my point. You see, we don't really own anything. We're just renting. We're just renting things. You may have the title to something, right? You may own your property. You may own your cars, own your boats and all that. But to be honest with you, you're just renting it, you know, until you're done with it. And and you're, you're renting those memories. Whatever you paid for something, that's what you're paying for memories. I me, mean, I paid a pretty good clip for my boat. And the old me would, would have sat around and kicked myself in the ass. Man, why did I spend all that money on that boat? But the new and improved Travis working on his, his, his mental wellness, I don't see it that way anymore. I see that as memories that I'm renting that I can look back on years later when I'm an old man and I'm 80 years old and I look, at, look, look back when I'm at that finish line and my chest breaks the tape on the finish line. I turn around and I look back at that track of life that I just ran I can see all those memories and I'm going to think it was damn well worth every single penny and I wouldn't trade it for anything. Y'all go rent some memories and go make them while you have the opportunity. The next time you want to go lay up on the couch, you've had a long day, you're tired, you don't want to be bothered. If you have a family, guess what? Go do something with them. Go get outside, go get some fresh air, go get a dinner, go do something different. And take advantage of the time you have. I love y'all.